You're listening to the profession's greatest physical therapist, Their Past, Our Future podcast. We're your hosts, Ethan Mitchell and Joey Stewart, first-year physical therapy students at Angelo State University. This is the podcast that is made to inspire pre-PTs, SPTs, and current physical therapists to become the greatest versions of themselves, physically, mentally, academically, financially, and spiritually. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Greatest Physical Therapist, Their Past, Our Future podcast. Today, we're honored to have Kate on the podcast. She is a run coach, a physical therapist, and she even is an ambassador for Brooks Running. So I think that's (laughs) cool. Yeah. So, um, Kate, I'm curious, what's something that you're excited about right now? Oh, gosh, what is something that I am excited about right now? Um, The prospect that fall running weather is around the corner. Can Mm -hmm. I say that? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Now we uh, kick this hot weather to the curb. Um, And we're not even through the thick of it yet, but. (laughs) Where are you guys, actually? So we're in Dallas, Texas area right now, but our school's in San Angelo. Well, I can't complain because I'm up in New York, so I really shouldn't complain about heat to you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hot is hot is hot. So That's fair. I respect it. (laughs) Yeah, but hey, you know what they say, uh, summer miles bring fall smiles, so we're staying active. That's true. Do they? I love that. They say that? Like, for real? (laughs) (laughs) I just heard it once and it stuck with me. (laughs) They say it. We don't know who they is. (laughs) Not at all. So about it. Yeah. So Kate, can you give us the rundown on just how you got into physical therapy? And even after that, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your running journey? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my journey towards becoming a physical therapist, I think is pretty classic for most athletes. Um, you know, I've been a runner my whole life. Um, and then I think around eighth grade or ninth grade, I had my first, you know, running related injury that uh, landed me in a physical therapy office, um, with a physical therapist who, you know, specifically worked with a lot of runners. So that was a really awesome experience. Um, and it was really the first thing that kind of gave me hope that I was going to get back to doing what I love, um, which is to run. And I kind of realized that I wanted wanted to do that, you know, for other people in my career. So I was one of those rare people who knew what I wanted to do early on, um, which was great because it led me to a three plus three program um, in Rochester, New York, um, where I graduated with my DBT in 2020. So not too long ago. Um, Yeah. So that was kind of my like journey into physical therapy. So um, my like passion for running and my passion for PT have always kind of been intertwined, if you will. Nice. Yeah. You run like in high school as well and in college or anything like that? Yeah. So I ran all through high school. Um, I didn't actually run competitively in college. I was actually diagnosed with chronic migraine my senior year of high school. So that took me out of running for quite some time. Um, You know, learning how to manage it over the years, I was able to return to the sport, which was really great. Um, So it was out of my life for a little bit. Um, And I think it took that kind of break to realize how important it is in my life. Um, so did not run competitively in college, but kind of got back into it myself. Um, kind of in undergrad, I started running a couple half marathons um, and just getting back into it as I got into PT school as well. Nice. And is there anything you're training for right now? 
Actually, I'm not training for anything specific right now. I recently took a very long off season, if you will. Actually, took like five or so months completely off of cardio Mm. um, just to shift gears and get really into, you know, strength training. I was trying to put on, you know, a little bit of muscle mass um, and just really wasn't into running outside in Western New York in the winter. Uh, Call me a fair weather runner, if you will, but I love a good off season in the thick of the winter. Um, so right now I'm really still kind of in the process of like returning to my normal, like running routine, um, which is <laughs> a humbling process in and of itself. And I work with so many clients on this, you know, specific goal. So it's, you know, kind of fun and humbling when I get to go through it myself. It helps me relate to, you know, what I, what my clients go through, um, you know, as well. Yeah, that's super good. And, uh, you're role modeling a really good behavior because I know most runners just want to run year round all the time, probably my, myself included. Uh, and <laughs> you know, you're super smart by giving yourself an off season. If you look at all the pros and any sport, they all take an off season. And so it's a intelligent decision to, you know, help build up some strength and muscle mass. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important, you know, and, I think it's also important just for like striking down burnout. Um, you know, I hear it all the time with, with runners, like, you know, I'm just not loving running right now. And I think that's hard for some people to admit. Um, so I, I find personally for me, like taking that off season, you know, every year during that time really helps stave that off. And then once, you know, the spring weather breaks, I'm really itching to get back out there. So it, it keeps me fresh and, and, uh, enjoying it. And honestly, right now, like, running is kind of just serving the purpose of like for joy and stress relief. Like I don't have any major like race goals right now, maybe down the line soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was kind of cool. I was, um, I recently just got cert- my CSCS certification. And, oh, congrats. Uh, thank you. And, um, one thing that, uh, kind of like intrigued me really was, um, when it comes to runners doing resistance training, they benefit a great deal from it. Whereas yes. like, more like resistance training based athletes who run, like don't get as much benefit. So um, just from your perspective um, with your experience and then what you've done yourself, um, mm-hmm. let's dive a little bit into that and just the benefits you found from it and how you encourage others to do the same. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if I have one mission in life, it's to get like a set of weights into the hands of as many runners as possible. Um, I think I strongly feel that if you are not strength training as a runner, you're leaving some serious injury prevention benefits and performance benefits on the table. Um, you know, we know that strength training is one of the number one things in injury prevention for athletes in general. Um, and it's the same for runners. So oftentimes when I see, you know, runners having this really extensive history of overuse injury, you know, just different things like that, oftentimes just implementing a really good, consistent and progressive strength training program for that runner can be what they need to really build up the capacity to tolerate, you know, the demands of running and what they're asking their body to do. Um, so, you know, I think that it is a really important tool. I actually, um, in my business, I actually don't offer run coaching without strength coaching, um, unless it's someone who I know, you know, is really into that scene themselves or has like a different strength coach. Um, I think it's that important. Really great benefits on strength training for runners. Mm-hmm. 
I want to hear how you intertwine strength training with running, because I know sometimes, you know, DOMS or muscle soreness can interfere with, you know, your next day tempo run. So I'm curious about how you kind of intertwine those things to make it all work for the best. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to do it and there's no one right way. Right. Um, and it kind of depends on your goals as well. But if you're someone who is working on, you know, say more running specific goals, so you're really in training for something, you're working towards a PR or a different race goal or something like that. Um, your strength training should then complement your run training plan. So in that case, I recommend really only lifting like twice a week is really all you need. That's plenty um, when you're in season training for something running wise. And then something else that I'll recommend if your schedule can allow for it is keeping your hard days hard. So that means scheduling your strength training days on the same days as, you know, your speed work or your quality Mm -hmm. sessions or whatever you want to call them. Um, You know, doing those on the same day, if you're working on running goals, you want to get the run in first. And then the lift can either be two to three hours after or as an evening session. That allows for more recovery built into the schedule or more, you know, easy run days or more rest days, um, which really helps kind of stave off that like, ooh, man, I'm still really sore. I can't, you know, get the best out of my uh, speed work because I hit legs really heavy, you know, a day ago or two days ago. So being really strategic about where you're placing your strength training and your schedule is important. And solid advice. Indeed. <laughs> um, so when it comes to strength training, and this is actually something my CI and I talked about, um, brought up a discussion about like a former student of his who went to, it was actually a Greg Lehman class and talked about how. Oh, yes, love him. <laughs> you get you get a runner <laughs> coming in. Um, what is it that you work on with them? Sorry, I just caught the nasty scrap just now. Um <laughs> And they uh, <laughs> ask, or, and then people kind of pipe in like, okay, strengthen the quad, strengthen the glutes, strengthen the ankle, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I see as old students said, train stuff that looks like running, um, which really stood out to me. And um, is that something you incorporate or like bear in mind as you go? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's really important to kind of look at it in the lens of like runners are athletes. So we should train like athletes, right? So we should be training like upper body, lower body. But when you're strength training as a runner, you want to make sure that you're incorporating a lot of single leg activities because running is a single leg sport, right? So a lot of those activities are going to kind of mimic those demands of the sport. So you're absolutely right. Um, I think Greg Lehman is awesome. So I'm glad you brought him up. (laughs) Yeah, we had him on a couple podcasts ago. Really? So. Oh, I got to go back and listen to that one. Yeah, I, I recommend <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So I'm curious on some of the most common myths regarding strength training for runners specifically. You know, I think, yeah, I'll let you take it away from there. <laughs> there are so many myths and I feel like I spend so much of my time like decoding these preconceived false ideas about strength training for runners. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of those misconceptions are within our profession as well. Um, So I think it's really important to speak about. Um, I think like, honestly, one of the major, one of the biggest ones I hear is if I strength train, I'm going to get bulky and it's going to make it hard to run. Um, And you hear it a lot, you know, from women too, I don't want to get bulky. I can guarantee that 
getting bulky or like putting on a significant amount of muscle does not happen on accident. Trust me, I just spent like months trying to put on muscle. It is really hard. Um, unless you're dedicating yourself to the gym, you're not going to come close to like the volume of training you need to put on that amount of muscle mass. Not to mention how much you'd have to eat to like counteract um, the amount of calories you burn from your running training as well. So this just doesn't happen. So this is kind of a fear that runners have um, that just really isn't based in reality. That's a major one I hear. Yeah. Running, there's physiological signaling in the body that will literally blunt hypertrophy for runners. So that's, you know, an interesting thing as well. And this isn't to say that hypertrophy is a bad thing either. You may get a little bit of hypertrophy with strength training, but like Kate is mentioning, it's going to be an insane amount of effort to become a bodybuilder. But for runners, there was actually a prospective study on bone stress injuries of the tibia. And they found that runners who had greater muscle mass at the calf area in the lower leg had a lower chance of a bone stress injury. So that just goes to show that having strength and some muscle mass is beneficial in running. Yeah, it's just really not as big of an issue as, as people think. Um, you know, I don't know why there's this notion that it like kind of happens on accident. Um, and if you talk to any bodybuilder, they would be the first to tell you it does not. <laughs> um, uh, another thing, I'm, what's your... I have many more myths if you want them. Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> to hear some more of your myth busting on this. <laughs> uh, runners should lift low load, high rep. Yeah. False, yeah. false. Runners don't need more endurance work. The main goal of strength training is to get stronger because this helps us, you know, stay healthy um, and helps our running performance too. Um, you know, it's been linked to improving running economy, which is like the relationship between oxygen consumption and running speed. Um, so we're really searching for a higher load, lower repetition model that's more effective for maximizing your strength adaptation. So depending on your reference between like three to 12 reps, once you get up past like six or eight, you're getting more into the hypertrophy zone, but that's also okay. Um, and you want to make sure that you're using a load that brings you for the most part within one to four reps um, of failure. Um, so not lifting until, you know, max failure, um, but kind of being in that, you know, threshold to failure that is enough, you know, stimulus to elicit those adaptations that help you gain strength. Um, so that stimulus has to be high enough to facilitate that adaptation. And I like to think about it like medication. Like if your physician prescribes you 20 milligrams of a medicine, but you only take 10 milligrams, you're not re reaching that therapeutic threshold. So you're not getting the desired effects. Um, so oftentimes we see runners strength training, lifting the you know, exact same weights over the years and not, you know, challenging themselves to grow in the weight room. Um, you know, so you're not getting those same, you know, performance benefits and injury prevention benefits, um, that you would be getting if you were following, you know, more of an effective strength plan. Um, and the secret sauce to that is progressive overload, uh, which I could talk about, go on a tangent about, but I won't basically, it just means gradually increasing your weight 
frequency or number of repetitions over time in strength training. And most often we want to use uh, increase in weight because we want to stay within those really good um, strength training zones. Um, and this isn't just arbitrarily lifting more over time or making your workouts like harder every time you go. It's adjusting your load as you get stronger in order to keep you within a certain proximity to failure to continue gaining those training benefits. I'll step off my soapbox. <laughs> no, you can stay on. We, we can go on <laughs> yeah. a little bit longer. Yeah. You do stay on the soapbox because um, kind of on that note, um, how is it that do you, well, do you incorporate like kind of plower, plower, power and plyometric training with your uh, clients? <laughs> and if so, what does that look like for them? Yes, I do. Um, and you don't need like a ton of this in your training. Like just a couple moves a week is fine. I mean, I don't always have this within a training block. Sometimes that depends on where we're at or where, you know, how experienced the athlete is in the weight room as well. Um, but plyometrics are really important for runners to help develop power. Um, so typically some of my favorites include like a weighted jump squat or just a regular jump squat to start, um, you know, box jumps, some jump lunges. I also use broad jumps frequently. Um, and one of the most important things with plyometrics is you're not doing a high number of repetitions. Sometimes when you see people trying to do like something like a jump squat in the gym, um, just really fast up and down repetitions, no rest in between each one, you really want them to be like individual explosive max effort um, you know, jumps or whatever type you're doing. Um, so yes, I do incorporate them. They aren't, you know, probably about like one to two or two to three a week for my runners. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned, um, the max effort principle. Cause I do see a lot of people when they do plyometrics, they start cranking out like sets of 10 or some ungodly number. And I'm yes. like, yeah, I just from everything I've learned, it's like that's a little counterproductive. Like, I feel yes. like you're not really getting the true gains of what you're trying to do. And you're kind of entering into um, like more hit training or more like cardio based training. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think of those types of moves like burpees or things like that. Um, yes, they can help you build strength initially, but that's not their main purpose. Those are like big calorie burners and things like that. Um, so I don't often incorporate things like that in my workouts because that's not, you know, the goal. Um, so making sure that we're being intentional when we do have like plyometrics, um, and really just knowing the reasons behind why you're doing the things that you're doing. Um, your coach should be able to tell you why you're doing the things that you're doing. Um, so that's really important too. So I'm, I'm glad that you reiterated that point. Yeah. Another thing that I love about plyometrics and power training is one thing I like to think about, like my reasoning behind incorporating them is um, thinking about like tendon stiffness and just the training, the stretch shortening cycle, allowing mm -hmm. my body to be more efficient in its stride. And there is research to show that strength training can increase our running economy. Absolutely. Two to 8%. So that's a pretty large gain for, you know, something you can add for, you know, maybe, 90 minutes a week or so. Yeah, so. it's it's really massive. And and I don't think that most people realize that it's not 
just necessarily about injury prevention. And that is a major, you know, talking point about strength training for runners, but it really also does benefit your performance too. Um, that kind of ties into like one of my, one of the other like myths that you hear a lot is like runners only should train their core, like core training, core strengthening for runners is like a huge buzzword. Um, and I say, ugh, to that, um, like runners should train like athletes and lifting full body is beneficial. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because, um, I recently read, um, a study and it wasn't like a super high quality evidence, just some preliminary research that was showing an association between upper body fatigue and running economy, um, which is really interesting. So, you know, it's important to make sure that we aren't just looking at, you know, strengthening our abs and hips, like many, you know, running strength training circuits might lead you to believe. Yeah. And I like how you brought up the upper body because that's a question I've had for a long time. And you mentioned how um, strengthening our back and stuff can help us uh, just maintain an efficient upright posture while running. Um, Just having, you know, those strong postural muscles can be beneficial thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I just did a project with Brooks running on this, actually um, did a a shoot on upper body strength training for runners. Um, So that should, that article should be coming out in a couple of weeks. Oh, cool deal. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Brooks, we'd love to dive in more (laughs) about how you got in with Brooks and what you're up to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I should back up and say that um, I am self-employed for those of you listening who don't know. Um, so, you know, I have a, I'm not super strong, but I have a somewhat of a presence on social media. Um, so I applied to be a part of the um, Brooks Run Happy team um, for the 2022 year. So the application I think came out last fall and I just filled it out Um and basically, they're just looking for, you know, people who are runners, passionate about the brand, um, you know, somewhat of a strong social media presence. Um, and I got in, which was really exciting. So I didn't really think that that would lead into, like, other opportunities to, you know, work with them. It definitely involved um, just being, like, a part of an awesome community. And there was a lot of, like, continuing ed, or there are a lot of continuing ed Um, like meetings that we can go to and little sneak peeks on gear and things like that. And we get a lot of like awesome gear gifted to us. Um, But they reached out to um, a select group of us just asking if anybody had experience in like strength training or strength coaching or physical therapy. And I was like, I do. Um, And they contacted me a month later asking if I would be willing to be flown out to Seattle to be an onset talent for a Brooks running project. Um, They were looking for, you know, someone with experience in strength coaching and PT. And um, they thought that I would be a good fit. So, of course, I like jumped on the opportunity. Um, Really just such a cool experience, Um, you know, meeting the production team and getting to go and see the headquarters in Seattle and everything like that. Um, It was just a lot of fun. But anybody can apply to be on the Brooks Run Happy team. Um, You you don't have to be like an elite runner or like, you know, have like 10,000 followers on Instagram. Um, They're just really looking for passionate people. So, I highly recommend, um, if you like the Brooks brand, highly recommend applying for it next year. It's been like so much fun. Um, and I'm going to be applying next year. I hope I get in again. (laughs) 
That's so awesome. I'm a big Brooks fan and um, yeah, I love their products. So I'll keep that in mind for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it was just such a cool, like going out and being a part of that project was such a cool opportunity that I probably would have never gotten if I never went out on my own in business. Um, so it was just a really great experience. Yeah. I also want to hear that transition from um, working as a physical therapist to being more so an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. So I, where, where to start? I graduated PT school in 2020. So this was like pandemic times. So to uh, occupy myself while I was studying for my boards and maybe to procrastinate just a little bit. Um, I started uh, my like running slash PT Instagram page. And initially I was just posting, you know, just like common running injury tips, random things like that. i um, just kind of getting my foot in the door. Um, and I didn't really know what it would turn into, but I kept the page going when I started my first outpatient orthopedic job. Um, and, you know, I continued to connect with, you know, other running clinicians, I'll call them, or other um, PTs who, you know, work with runners or maybe are run coaches. Um, and that was kind of like the ultimate dream for me. Like I knew that I wanted, I always knew that I wanted to work with runners in my career. Um, but at that point, I didn't really know how it would happen. Um, so at the same time, I was working in my outpatient orthopedic job. And, you know, while I love my patients and my boss and my coworkers, I had a really great mentorship situation. I wasn't feeling completely fulfilled with what I was doing. Um, I really wanted to work with runners and I knew that that wasn't always like a major possibility right out of school. Um, but you know, the few athletes that I had on my caseload, they would typically get, you know, cut by insurance prematurely. Um, you know, just, just issues with that. I was just kind of getting disenfranchised with a system that isn't like the best setup to serve runners and their goals. Um, so, you know, around this time, I ended up connecting with an awesome mentor. Her name's Kristen Schultz. Um, she's another running run coach PT. Um, and part of her business is that she helps other running clinicians begin like run coaching side hustles or add it to an existing business model. Um, so I, you know, started working with her and it was really eye-opening because I walked into this like whole community of people who were like actually doing my dream of like working with runners from all over um, in like a rehab performance um, kind of space. So I started like taking courses, learning, um, and I progressed from, you know, coaching friends and family to, you know, starting to work with real clients. Um, and while all of this was happening, this is a long winded story. I'm so sorry. <laughs> while all of this was happening, um, I mentioned earlier that I have chronic migraines. So while all of this was happening, I started going through some really like rough times with that, um, you know, using all of my PTO and just having like a lot of guilt of like canceling, you know, patient um, appointments and just having to, you know, call in and put that on my coworkers. Um, I just kind of realized it got to the point where I realized that, you know, being on in a clinic for 40 hours a week might not be conducive to, you know, the lifestyle that I have to live to manage my, you know, own pain condition. Um, so I was kind of reaching this like breaking point where my, you know, side hustle was growing to the point where I couldn't grow it any further while still working full time. Um, 
So I had to kind of make the decision between just maintaining it the way, the way it was um, or taking a leap. And on the other hand, I wasn't, you know, overly enthralled by my job and was already kind of feeling like it might not be the long-term place for me. So all of this kind of bubbled up and I kind of took the jump and decided, you know what, I'm going to, you know, go all in on my business. At the time, um, we were just dating at the time, he's now my fiance, but we were kind of in the process of, you know, potentially going to be moving. And, and he was really supportive. Um, you know, when I decided to go all in, um, so it was really just, you know, all of those combining things kind of pushed me closer and closer to the ledge. And I can honestly say, like, I have no regrets. I really never thought that I would go, you know, into business for myself this early in my career. Um, it's been just over a year now since I went all in on my business. Um, and I can say, I just, I just really have no regrets and I can't wait to see where it takes me. I just brought on another coach who is one of my good friends from grad school. Her name's Jenna. Um, and it's just been like really an amazing year and just an awesome, you know, opportunity. I've worked with, you know, different business coaches over the year to help, you know, grow and scale the business. And I've learned a lot because they don't teach you how to start or run a business in PT school. Um, but yeah, it was just, I know I made the best choice for, you know, what I need in my life and, you know, for what I want to get out of my career and for how I, you know, want to make an impact, a real impact on my, on my clients. Yeah. Pal. <laughs> That's super cool. I appreciate you sharing that story with us. Um, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head on that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's stellar to hear that you were able to, you know, that you found your niche like that early. And not only did you do it because you felt that that was your purpose, but you kind of like recognize what was best for yourself, too. And, I, you know, in a profession where I feel like it's hard to recognize that and to get to a point where you can do that, like that's phenomenal that you're able to do that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, and that's kind of the thing, too. You know, it's it's about pursuing your passions, but it's also about pursuing like what is right for you and what works for your life. You know, I have had a lot more work-life balance now, you know, working for myself and being able to set my own schedule. Um, you know, just the fle flexibility is something that I needed. Um, but yeah, definitely it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, but it's been a fun ride. <laughs> yeah. And are you still taking on clients for physical therapy? Yeah. So I kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting the way that we do things. So I work with clients from all over um, the country, actually all over the world too. Um, the client in, in South Africa and the Middle East and some in Canada, which is really cool. Um, so I kind of operate more under like the health and wellness umbrella. So I'm still a licensed physical therapist. Um, I'm a strength and conditioning uh, specialist. Um, but I don't un operate underneath the kind of constraints of you know, the umbrella of physical therapy. Um, a lot of what I do is more performance-based training and rehab. So I don't technically call, you know, my training programs physical therapy, but you still get the knowledge and expertise of a physical therapist. Nice. There, you know, it's, it's interesting where our, our profession is so limited by our license that, you know, we're seeing other professions like personal trainers creep into our spaces because they're not as restricted as we are, which I think is kind of silly because we're the knowledgeable ones in this arena, right? Yeah, exactly. That does blow my mind. Yeah. I think that you're going to start to see 
a bit of a shift in our profession, especially in the sports and orthopedic uh, side of things. Yeah. And I think it's in a good way too, because of seeing people after their injuries, we're going to see them hopefully before they even have an injuries, have injuries at all. But that's, yeah, no. And, and that's really the cool thing that, you know, the way that my business is set up, it kind of affords me to do some things that I just wasn't able to do in the confines of a clinic. So instead of, you know, okay, it's been three weeks now since this person's pain started and now we're just starting to work on it. Um, or maybe we get to them to the point where they're just able to start a return to run plan. And then their insurance says this is no longer medically necessary. So you're kind of able to exist in the spaces and bridge the gap. And that's really, I think where, a lot of these more like insurance-based models fail runners. They get them right to the point where they're ready to start running. And then the guidance they get is resume normal activity. And it's just this cycle, this never ending cycle, because there's never that, that gap just isn't bridged between rehab and performance. And I really love existing in that space. Um, it's a lot of fun. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. Cause I was, seen that instance happen a few times between when I was a tech and then, you know, even currently. And, um, I see, and I kind of, I see I and I, uh, kind of talked about this just with like different terms. And, um, you know, it's interesting to kind of see where like, we're kind of almost deemed necessary, but in my opinion, you know, I feel like we have kind of, like you said, we're knowledgeable in the sense that we, we can help them with that transition. And I just wish that was something we had more of a, what's the word I'm looking for here? More of a role and a voice in. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think that once you kind of enter into the online community of, you know, clinicians working non-traditional jobs, um, you start to see a lot more of that like happening. There's a lot of us out there that, you know, are kind of starting to fill that need um, and really in hyper-specific ways too. Like there's a lot of people that like just specifically work with like ACL repairs um, or, you know, different things like that, which is just really, really interesting. Um, you know, there's just opportunities out there for us that just weren't there, you know, uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And so one big part of your business is likely finding clients through Instagram. You have an awesome Instagram at the running DPT. Thank you. Yeah. I'm curious on your approach to making content. Is it something that you schedule out? Is it something that you're like, Ooh, I have a good idea. I'm going to go do this right now. Yeah. So this is a great question. And when I first started, <laughs> so there was this like moment when I, you know, the first week of being self-employed where I was like, oh my God, what do I do today? Like <laughs> nobody's telling me what to do. I don't have a schedule. Um, so figuring out like when to do things so that things actually get done was really tricky. Um, I find the most success um, with batch creating. So basically that means that like I'll sit down and maybe spend 10 minutes just, you know, scrolling through reels and finding like trending audios or just different things like that. And then I'll just make like five or six reels at once. Hmm. Um, maybe I'll change outfits or whatever, um, to make it look like I didn't just do that. But, um, this helps me be consistent with posting because one of the major things for growth on Instagram and, you know, client acquisition comes with growth 
um, is consistency in posting. So there was a long period of time there where I was posting like two reels a day. Um, and that really did help um, my outreach. Um, but batch cre- content batching has really been important for that because then I can just film them like on a Sunday or Monday. And then I've got reels to post every day throughout the week. Um, and I do the same thing with other types of posts as well. Um, of course, I'm not perfect and I'll have weeks where I'm like, ah, shoot, got to put something together. Um, but planning it out and really making sure that you have kind of a chunk of things to post ahead of time is, has been a, a major key for me. Nice. And so you kind of schedule out a chunk of time in the day to do that. And right before that, you kind of write out your ideas of what you're going to do. Then you go ahead and execute. Kind of. Honestly, I think the ideas come to me when I find like the audios, like Mm. I'll just kind of scroll through and I'll see, you know, I'll hear an audio or I'll see a reel that kind of inspires a thought and I'll save that audio. And then maybe I'll just write down my thought. Um, So, you know, it's kind of, I can't really force the creative process. Like you kind of have to work with it a little bit. Um, But yeah, that's usually kind of how I do that. Nice. Yeah. And it sounds like with that method too, it gives you plenty of time to kind of like brainstorm also um, rather than just coming up with it on the spot. Like it's a good way to plan. It sounds like. Absolutely. And I think that, I think the major thing that I've learned in this past year um, when it comes to like Instagram content. Cause I remember when I first started my Instagram page, I was so obsessed with things being perfect, perfectly referenced, like just, just a perfect post. And I was so obsessed with that um, in the beginning that it was kind of paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Um, so realizing that like not everything has to be perfect. And honestly, sometimes quantity is more important than quality, which sounds really bad. Um, but on Instagram, sometimes that is true. I'm just kind of like letting that go and taking down those like expectations for myself was really important. It, it lets you have a lot more fun. Can you talk to me about, (laughs) yeah, yeah. See, I'm curious about how you really dropped that expectation. Like, was it, you just took a breath and you're like, Okay, it'll be all good. Yeah. yeah, I think it's I think it's a constant internal battle. I think <laughs> I think that most of us, um, like healthcare practitioners and you know maybe runners too, um, you can put us in like the type A box. I think like nine times out of ten. Um, so it's really like not something that probably ever will go away you know, fully that kind of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just kind of looking around and realizing like okay, not everybody else posts like every single post being this like beautifully referenced, like, like heavily thought out concept. It's okay if you don't do it too. Um, And I followed a couple different, you know, Instagram gurus or just different people that talk about things like that. So just having that confirmation of like, okay, other people do this and it's okay. um, I think was huge too, but it really just, you know, came with time of like putting in the reps and I think it was like a year after like starting my Instagram before I really started to kind of let that go a little bit that's true and (laughs) people are on Instagram they're probably not expecting a grade a systematic review on every single post you know (laughs) they're reading through it like oh this is interesting information I'll I'll try this out you know so I, I don't think people are are judging us as much as we probably put it out to be sometimes as a content creators. 
Absolutely. Especially when your target audience isn't like necessarily another clinician, you don't have to like use the clinical jargon all the time. Um, you know, it, it kind of draws your desired audience if your audience Mm. is non-clinical. Yeah. And, um, just leaving that information in a way that they can digest. Cause, um, I mean, heck, even, you know, someone like me, like, I'm my attention span is like this. So if think like the more concise something is like the more likely I'm going to like engage with it, look at it, kind of analyze it a little bit. And if I have my questions, I'll have my questions. But other than that, like I just, it's hard for me to like, like break down these uh, Instagram posts and whatnot that end up being like whole freaking critical reviews of X, Y, Z. It's like, I just want the information straightforward, which absolutely. <laughs> thinking about just how social media is too. I mean, that's kind of how it's designed. It's like, what can capture my attention the most while still kind of doing the least. And uh, it's a balance that both of y'all have like down. Oh, thank you. We really, really hit the nail on the head there with that. Um, You know, it's so true. Yeah. All right. Kate, as Rich Roll says, I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but it's uh, time to start landing the ship. Um, (laughs) that's good I like that yeah um so we'll end with our question we ask all our guests what's your definition of a great physical therapist Ooh, this is a good one um if I had to pick one it's someone who listens to their patient or client's goals and helps them achieve their goals not someone who, you know, forces their own goals upon them. Um, I think that oftentimes as, you know, clinicians, we want to do what we think is best for, you know, the client. And, you know, I think it's really important to remember that, you know, no one knows, like the client knows their body more than you do. No one knows like their own body like they do. And it's just important to really, really listen. And I think that's something that kind of came through my own experience as a chronic pain patient kind of helped me to empathize with that. Um, you know, going through experiences where, you know, my feelings and and thoughts maybe weren't being listened to by, you know, healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, probably the number one thing that makes a good PT is, is someone who, you know, actively listens and, and really helps you achieve your goals and not their own goals for you. Yeah. Beautifully put. Yeah. That's Thanks super guys. Cool. All right, Kate. And where can people find you if they want to work with you as yeah. run and strength coach? Yeah, absolutely. I am accepting clients into my one-on-one run and strength coaching program, as well as my group strength training program for runners who are looking to learn how to strength train. Um, You can find me on Instagram at the underscore running underscore DBT, or you can find me at therunningdbt.com to fill out a contact form on my website. You'll receive a response promptly um, if you're interested in hearing more about what we have to offer. Awesome. And we'll put that link or your Instagram name in the bio. Awesome. Wants, you know, double check. And just want to say thanks so much. I want to acknowledge you for being a great resource for so many runners and just 
being on our podcast an awesome and episode teaching people an extremely knowledgeable physical therapy. Thank you so much for having me. Coach. It's been a lot of fun, guys. I suggest you guys go check her out on Instagram and even consider hiring her as a run coach or strength coach. But if you enjoyed this show, we'd definitely appreciate if you could leave a review or a five-star rating. And it would really mean a lot to us, too, if you just reach out to us and say, hey, I have been loving the podcast. That goes a long way for us. Y'all have a great day. Peace.